Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. So there's, uh, when you get a doctorate in expositional preaching and then you come back to that institution and all your professors in the audience plus a Greek scholar on the front row, there's no pressure whatsoever. So I got asked a question this morning. I got the privilege of meeting with a couple of students and one of them asked me the question. They said, Matt, okay, um, he he was from Kenya. He's going back to Kenya to be a missionary there. He said, um, so many people are moving from the rural areas of Kenya into the cities the, the, the gospel has almost no influence there. How do I go into a city and have an impact in the city um, when I don't have any influence, okay? And I, and I gave, basically gave him this answer. I said that you have something to offer the influential people of the city that they cannot find anywhere else in the world, and that is the gospel. They are looking for satisfaction of their soul to meet the deep needs of their soul and they're trying to find it in all these other areas. They will never find it. They can get anything they ever thought they dreamed or desired. It will not meet those desires of their soul. You have that answer. And so that's basically what we're gonna see today in the text. And so regardless of what your calling is on your life, the answer to the power that you have in ministry is here. And so let's open up our Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter one. I'm going to camp out and exposit uh, verse 21, but I'll read verse 20 to start us off. This is uh, Peter. He's writing to the church, and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. For the sake of time today, I won't talk too much about that. I want to camp out on 21. Watch what he says. He says, for through him you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Peter's making the argument, look, I want to give you basically three reasons why you should be putting your faith in God and why you should be putting your hope in God. Now, it's important to remember who Peter is writing this letter to. He's writing a letter to um, a persecuted church. This is a church that are going through incredible persecution and trials in your life. He's encouraged them, encouraging them in their faith to walk with Christ in the midst of a, of a culture that is hostile to Christianity. This is a very applicable book to where we're at today in the 21st century. And he's writing them there. And in verse 21, he's like, look, I'm going to give you these three reasons why in the midst of everything you're going through in this culture, you need to be placing your faith and you need to be placing your hope nowhere else but in the Lord, the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> Pardon me. Now, before I kind of walk through the text here, give you those three reasons. He says, you put your faith and hope in the Lord. There's a couple of things I want to address. The first one is, what does he even mean when he says, put your faith and hope in God? Those are words that we hear all the time in church. And so they've kind of lost their meaning. Well, of course we put our faith and hope in God. But why is he, why is he saying that? Why is he taking a, a, a verse, the Holy Spirit-inspired text to say, hey, make sure you're putting your faith in God and your hope in God? Um, well, the answer is this. The word faith means basically, short version means to trust. It means to actively put your trust into something. 
And so when I walked up on this stage in a very real and tangible way, I am right now as we speak, putting my faith into the stage to hold me up, right? So it means to trust into something. <clears throat> the other thing we gotta keep in mind is, is in the context of this verse, faith carries with it the idea of a present trust. And so, so Peter's saying, look, you need to put your faith or your right now present trust into God for your life right here, right now. Now, and then he uses the word hope. Now, hope is a very different word in the Greek. I won't go into all the meaning because there's a Greek scholar and I'm probably gonna say something wrong, so I'm not gonna even try. But the, it's a different word than faith. And faith, while faith means to place your trust into something now, hope means to place your trust into something in the future. Now, it's also important to note this, that the way that you and I as Americans use the word hope is very different than the biblical use of the word hope. When we, when we use the word hope, we, we use it in terms of wishful thinking. We, we use it in terms of, of having an optimistic outlook on something. You know, I hope this happens. We're wishfully thinking that something's gonna come true, but the biblical word for hope is not based on optimism. Hear this. The biblical word for hope is not based on a wishful thinking or a positive outlook. The biblical word for hope is based on the 100% absolute assurance of God's promises. In other words, when God makes a promise, it always comes true. And so you can put your hope into that. And so what Peter's saying in verse 21 here is he's making an argument based on kind of these three things, which I'll get to in a second. You can have your faith for right now. You can put your trust into your life right now and you can put your assurance for the future into one place and that is the Lord. Now there's one other thing that I wanna talk about before I, I jump into three reasons, which I'll do quickly. And that, now that we know what kind of faith and hope means and what Peter's saying, I wanna talk about why I think this is critical for us today as, as believers and for our ministry, for our ministry. And it's this, that every single human being is putting right now as we speak, everybody that's alive, everybody in this room, everybody out there, every Christian, every non-Christian, every single person that's ever lived and ever will live is going to put their faith for today and they are gonna put their assurance for tomorrow into something. It's how we were wired, it's how we were created. Every single human being is going to put their faith and trust into something. It's not a matter of if people do it, it's a matter of what or who they are putting their faith and hope into. And so um, the reason that we do that is because all of us have these internal needs and desires that drive our decisions every day of our life. And I won't go into all of them, I won't list them all. If you were to stop and think for a second, you could probably get down to the bottom of what are the things I'm kind of looking at? What are the things that I'm desiring in my heart and my life that I think will make me happy, that I think will uh, bring me contentment? What are those things? And you could probably say, man, I'm, I'm putting a measure of my faith and I'm putting a measure of my hope into something. That's what we do. We think that this thing, this object, this person we put our faith and hope into is gonna meet those internal needs. Uh, I, I think about some times in my life excuse me, where I've done that. And I think about high school, a long time ago when I was in high school. Um, I, I, was, uh, I grew up in a little small town in East Texas called Athens, Texas. It was about 5,000 people. It was a really backwoods, little backwoods town. And I wanted more than anything else to get out of that town. I wanted freedom. I wanted to get away from my parents. I wanted to get out of my high school. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be on my own, do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And so in a very real way, I was looking, I was putting my faith and my hope into this object of freedom. I thought if I could just be free, 
then all these needs and desires I have are gonna, are gonna ultimately be fulfilled. Well, here's the thing, I woke up one day, I graduated from high school, I found myself in college, and I had this thing that I always thought would meet the desires of my heart. I got that freedom. But here's what I discovered very quickly, is that freedom is not a great object to put your faith and hope into. Because what I discovered is that freedom meant that mom no longer did my laundry, amen? Freedom meant poverty, right? Freedom meant that I'm looking through my couch cushions for coins to go to Taco Bell to survive. That's what freedom meant. And so I discovered very quickly that this thing that I had spent my entire high school, junior high career looking to, man, if I could just get it, I'd put my faith and hope into it. It wasn't a worthy object of my faith and hope. I think about seminary. Let's just talk about seminary for a second. I remember when I was in seminary and I was going through it, I, I remember thinking, man, if I could just get to the place where I didn't have to write any more papers and I don't have to go to any more classes and I can just be a pastor of a church, then man, that's when life's really gonna get started. That's when, that's when I'll finally be happy. That's when I'll be doing what it is that, that I'm called to do and I wanna do and that's when everything's gonna be awesome. Well, one day I'm done with all my papers and I'm done with all my classes and I walk on the stage just like this and I got a little piece of paper and, and but in a very real and tangible way, I'd put my faith and hope in the pastorate. And then one day you wake up, you realize you're a pastor and you have these little things, these little, these little people called deacons in your life that make you miserable. And, and, and you've, got, you've got these pesky little, little, little people called your, your, your congregation that have a tendency to get sick and go to the hospital in the middle of the night and, 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 and come and I don't know if you probably heard this before, but sheep bite and they walk up to you and they say things like, pastor, that was the best sermon you've ever preached in your whole life. And you think that's a compliment, but the way I hear it is all the other sermons you ever preached, they stunk, right? And so it, it, you wake up one day and all th this object that I put my faith and hope into my, my whole life, I got it. And I realized that even something like the pastorate is not a worthy object to put our faith and hope in. And I could tell you, guys, I could tell you that exact same story and that exact same outcome for every single thing in my entire life, for every single person in my entire life that I've ever put my faith and hope in. And so here's, here's the, the little life lesson, what I've learned, hear this. And you, most of you have already probably figured this out. But every single person in your entire life eventually is gonna let you down. Every person. Every person in your entire life eventually is going to disappoint you. Your husband, ladies, if you're not married, I got some bad news for you. Your husband is gonna let you down. Your wife is going to disappoint you. Your parents, a lot of you have already figured that out. Your parents are going to disappoint you. Your boss is going to disappoint you. Your heroes in the faith are going to disappoint you. Your best friend is going to let you down and disappoint you. And here's the thing. It not only is every person in your life going to eventually let you down and disappoint you, but I've also discovered that everything in your life, everything in your life, Will disappoint you. Here, think about this. If, if fame and money and fulfilling cool work and a perfect body were the secret to meeting the deep desires of your soul, then the people of Hollywood would be the happiest people on the planet. And all you have to do is look at the divorce rate and look at their suicide rate to know that that is absolutely not true. Every person and every single thing that you could ever put your faith and hope in will eventually let you down but one. 
And I want you to listen. Don't turn there, but I want you to listen to the claim of the scripture here. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Again, don't turn there. Just listen carefully. Listen to the, the audacity of the scripture. Romans 10, 11. Paul writes, he says, for the scripture says that whoever believes, that means to trust, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That's an audacious claim. One translation says that those who put their faith in the Lord will never be disappointed. There's a whole book of the Bible the Ecclesiastes that were the, were the richest guy, the most powerful guy ever. Solomon says, hey, I want you guys to know, man, I've tried it all. I've tried work. I've tried money. I've tried women. I've tried everything. And absolutely everything is vanity. I found one thing, and it's the Lord. The claim of the text is only the Lord will not disappoint you. And so Peter gives us in verse 21 three reasons why God and God alone why the gospel of Christ is the only object worth putting our faith for today and our assurance for tomorrow into, and everything else is going to let you down. And so very, 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 very quickly, I'm going to fly through these three. We're, we're, we'll be done. Look at verse 21. He says, through him are believers in God. And so he's laying out this reason why we put our faith and hope in the Lord. And the first reason he gives, he says, through him, we are believers in God. And so why does Peter say, look, one of the, one of the foundational reasons you need to be putting your faith for today and all of your assurance for tomorrow in God is that through him, you are a believer. What does he mean by that? Well, I have a, a, a feeling that Peter's probably making reference to Matthew chapter 16 here where Jesus stops one day, the, the disciples are with him, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? He said, well, some people say, you're a prophet that's come back. Some people say that you're this. Some people say that you're that. And, and then Jesus looks at his boys and says, all right, guys, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter started talking, because Peter's always the one that starts talking. And Peter said, and I'll just read this to you in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Uh, or rather, Peter responded and said, hey, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. This Messiah we've been looking for for generations, you're him. And not only do we believe you're the Messiah, but I also believe you're, the, you're, you're God himself. You're the son of the living God. And I want you to see what Jesus says to him in response in Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus answered him. He said, blessed are you. Okay, you said that, you're blessed. Why are you blessed? He said, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He said, Peter, the reason that you're able to say and believe that I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is not because of your intellect. He said, the reason that you're able to say and believe and confess that I'm the Christ and the Son of the living God is not because you did all the math and came up with the right answer. Jesus is saying, the reason that you believe that I'm the Christ and the Son of the living God is, is not because somebody walked up to you and convinced you that that is the truth. Jesus said, the reason that you believe I'm the Christ and the Son of the living God is because your Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. And so the first thing Peter is saying to us is, look, the reason you put your faith nowhere else but the Lord, the reason you put your hope in nowhere else but the Lord is for this reason, is that God was the one that began the good work in you. And if he is the one that began the good work in you, then you can trust and put your hope into him that he's going to finish the good work in you. 
And that's exactly what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Church, if you have a genuine faith in Christ, it's because there was a point in time in history that the Lord looked at you and he revealed to you in your heart the truth of who he was. And Paul's point is, is in, one, in Philippians 1.6 and Peter's point in 1 Peter 1.21 is God didn't start this work in you to leave you hanging. God didn't start this work in you just to let you go. And the reason you can put your faith in him and the reason you put your trust in him alone and your hope in him is if you have a genuine faith in him, that's because he did it and he's gonna hold on to you to the end. Don't put your faith and hope in anything else. Look at the second thing that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 1, 21. He says, through him, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead. He's, he's making this argument. Put your faith and hope in God. And the second thing he says, he says, God raised him from the dead. Okay, we just had Easter. The resurrection's important, amen? Peter brings us back to the resurrection on why we put our faith and hope in Jesus. There was, there was a point in time where Jesus was laying dead in the grave. He wasn't sort of dead. He wasn't mostly dead, he was dead. And in a power that only God possesses, he breathed life into his son and Jesus came rising from the grave. And so there are a lot of implications of the resurrection on why we put our faith and hope in the Lord. But I wanna to talk to you quickly about one of them that Paul mentions because it gives us a ton of insight and why God and God alone ought to be the object of our faith and hope. And it's found in uh, Philippians chapter three, verse nine. Real quickly, I'll read it to you. Paul says, I wanna be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In the verse 10, Paul says something that is, in my opinion, fascinating. If you just stop two seconds and think about it. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I, two things I want more than anything else. I wanna know Jesus. I wanna, I wanna experience Christ. I wanna have a knowledge that is based on experience. One, I wanna know him. And then he says, I want to experience the power of the resurrection. What an absolutely interesting thing for a human being to say. For a human being to say, I wanna personally have access and experience the power that God used to raise a dead guy to life. Now why in the world would the Apostle Paul say that he wants to actually experience the power of the resurrection? The reason that Paul said that he wants to experience the power of the resurrection is because it's entirely possible and likely and promised that the believer will experience the power of the resurrection. Not only in your faith for your salvation, but in your life. And I want you to know this is this, this statement right here that we as believers can experience, as, as Paul says, know the power of the resurrection. It's one of the reasons I'm a big believer in God. Is there are some things in my life, there's some things I've experienced and I've seen that I've done that I absolutely cannot explain apart from a power that did not come from me. I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is preaching. I am scared to death to stand in front of people and talk. It scares me to death. Um, when I was in college, 
My first semester, I signed up for a speech communications class, and on the first day of class, our professor said, all right, here's what you got to do tomorrow in class. You got to stand up in front of the whole class by yourself. You got to give your name. You got to give your major and your hometown, and everybody's got to do that tomorrow in class. And I said, there's no way I can do that, and I dropped the class that next day. Long story short, I get to become a youth pastor and um, had never really taught. It was really early in my ministry. I'd never really taught. I'd kind of done one little small group Bible study for about six kids. And my pastor came up to me one day and it was, it was Easter was coming up and, and we were doing a sunrise service and a regular service and he didn't want to do both services. So he asked if I would preach the sunrise service. And this was back in 1996. I was 22 or something. And, and, and I was, I don't know why, but I said, yes, scared out of my mind to do that. I stayed up all night for several nights working on this sermon and it kind of, it was horrible. I was reading it and this is bad. This is going to fail. And I, my fiance, which is my wife, my fiance at the time, she's like, I'm praying for you because I think you're going to fail. <laughs> right. You know, she, she was really encouraging and, and, uh, and, and, and here's what happened, dude. I'm telling you, and I'm scared out of my mind. I'm praying like crazy. I walk up into the pulpit and I remember it like it was yesterday there was a peace that came over me that I had never in my entire life ever experienced until that moment. There was no other arena in my life that I ever experienced like this peace that came over me. And I started to talk. And as a guy who's not very articulate just in life, there was, there, there was, there was an ability for me to be able to stand up and speak that I, I'm, it's happening and I realized, man, that's, this is not me, I don't know. And I look out and some people are, 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 are weeping as I was telling stories and expositing the text. And at the end of the service, there's some people that trusted in Christ. I look down at my fiance and her eyes are like saucers. She's staring at me the whole time. And I walked up the stage, I walked right to her and I thought she was gonna be like, Matt, that was awesome. Great job. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. That was amazing. She said none of that. She looked at me and she said this, true story. She said, the guy on that stage is not the guy I know. Now, why would she say that? It's because she too saw a power coming out of me that didn't come from me. It's the power of the resurrection. Uh, I've seen it in my marriage. We've been married for uh, 21 years. And about year eight or nine, we, we hit a pretty rough spot in our marriage. We're believers and we would never get divorced and so we weren't gonna get divorced, but it was, it was rough. And I remember <clears throat> there was a night where we had fought and it was just bad and she left and, and kind of went out with some of her friends and I was home all by myself and I was just at the end of my rope. And in desperation, not knowing what else to do, I got on my knees and I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, I need you to change me. I'm not asking you to change her. I just need you to change me and make me different. And I'm telling you, folks, something happened in that moment. And, and, I'm, and I'm standing here today, and, and I have not been perfect in this by any stretch of the imagination, but I want you to know that in that moment right there, God changed me. God changed my heart. He gave me an, an ability to respond to her in kindness that I had never, ever had the ability to do before. I had the ability 
to, to love her and to serve her and to do it first that I had never actually had the ability to do before. And, and, and that power, that ability to do these things, exhibit the fruit of the spirit, I simply cannot explain it apart from a power that did not come from my flesh. We could all tell stories like that, and that's what Peter's saying. He's like, look, the reason you need to be putting your faith into the Lord, the reason you need to be putting your hope into the Lord is because if you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you have, a, you have access to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. And that, that is a power that you won't experience or receive from any person or any other thing in all of the world. That's the only place you can have that power. It's through God. Last thing, last reason, he says, put your faith in, 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 in the Lord and the hope in the Lord. He says, through him, one, we're believers in God who raised him from the dead. And the last thing he says, and gave him glory and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Why does Peter say not only did the Lord raise him from the grave, but he gave him glory? What's he talking about? Well, could preach a whole sermon on that, so I'm just going to say it real fast. Here's, here's basically what I believe this means, is that although um, Jesus Christ was not the first person to be raised from the dead, Jesus Christ was the first person to be raised from the dead and to never, ever, ever die again and is still alive today. I think that's what he's saying is that we raised him from the dead and glorified him. You see, Lazarus was, was risen from the grave by Jesus. He was, he was in the ground for days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. But what happened to Lazarus? Eventually, he got old, and he got sick, and he died again. The widow's son, Jesus raised him from the grave. But what happened? The widow's son eventually grew old and got sick and died again. And what Peter's saying is Jesus Christ, the first person in all of history, that died, was risen to life, and he never will ever, ever, ever die again. And he's on the throne, and he's alive right now as we speak. And so what that means, Peter's teaching us, is that death has been defeated. The greatest enemy of, of human existence is death. It's the one enemy that cannot be defeated in all of history, and Peter is saying, our Jesus, our Lord, he conquered it. It's dead. The war is over. And that's why Paul, I love this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, the reality that Jesus was risen from the grave and is still alive today, it hits Paul, and Paul starts talking smack to death. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? We just sang it. Death, you have been swallowed up in victory. The reason that we put our faith for right now, the object of our faith right now in the Lord, the reason that our hope is in the object of the Lord alone, he is our object, he's the only thing worthy of it is because he died, he rose again and he's still alive. And in the same way you and I too will die, we will rise again and we will never die either. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And folks, here's the thing. If there's one thing I could say to any of you that are going into foreign missions, that are going into the pastorate, that are going into the ministry in any shape, form, or fashion, I would say this. Never, ever lose the passion and awe of the reality 
that you serve a risen Savior. I know that you hear that all the time, but we don't think about it. That our God's alive. He's not in the ground somewhere. And I'll end with the story. I, um, I have a son who's 12 now, but when he was three, I brought him to an Easter pageant and he did something that made me realize I had lost the awe of the resurrection. Do we have, I, I brought a picture of, do we have, that's Sammy right there when he was that age and he, he is a sweet boy. He's a little bit older when this happened. Y'all can bring that down, but I just wanted to give you the context of how cute this kid was when he did this. But we brought him to an Easter pageant at a church in College Station, Texas. Back when he was three years old, he was just starting to talk. He was just putting sentences together and, and we had been telling him about Easter and we were good parents, right? You tell him, look, it's not about the Easter bunny, not about candy, because my man was into candy. It's not about all that. Jesus rose from the grave. And so he bought in. He's like, all right, Jesus rose from the grave. I don't think he knew what that meant, but he knew that Jesus was alive and he was all about it. Well, what Central Baptist did not tell us and what we had not yet told Sammy was that Jesus had to die before he was risen from the grave. That Jesus is alive, but he, that meant he had to die first. And the three-year-old had not comprehended that. <clears throat> so we're sitting there in the Easter pageant, a little man sitting in my lap. And they do the whole thing, and Jesus is, is, is brought out, and he's put on the cross, and they nail, they nail the, you know, the nails into him, and Sammy's eyes are about this big. And then Jesus lowers his head, and they bring him off the cross, and he's laying there dead. And Sammy looked over at me, and he said, my Jesus die. And because he, that's how he could speak. My Jesus die. And I was like, yeah, buddy, my, Jesus, he, he died. You know, he, he died for our sins. You know, he had to die. He's come back to life. And then he said it a little louder. He goes, my Jesus died? And I was like, yeah, 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 buddy, he, he, he died. He died on the cross. He's paying for our sins right there. And, and he gets, quits looking at me, and he kind of looks up, my Jesus died. Like, he starts screaming it. So I hand him the life. I'm like, woman, get him out of here. And so she grabs him, and she picks him up, and she gets him out of the... And he's screaming all the way back down the, the, the hallway there, the, you know, the, the row. And he's screaming, my Jesus, die, my Jesus, die, my Jesus, die. And she gets him out in the back in the foyer and she calmed him down. She finally, finally convinced him, look, it's okay. Yes, Jesus, but he's coming back. He's going he's gonna to rise from the grave. He's going to be alive. And he was weeping, just crying. She got him calmed down. He's kind of sniffling. And she decided to bring him back in, so she walked him back in. I mean, they walked in right, as, right at the moment where, like, the lights came on and smoke was coming out of the tomb and the, and the stone was rolled away and the Jesus comes walking out of the tomb. And he, she, he, he looked at my wife, Jennifer, he said, my Jesus alive? <laughs> and she said, yes, that's what I've been telling you. And he goes, tell daddy. And so she's like, yeah, let's go tell daddy. And so she, he walks him down. I was sitting back there somewhere. And she puts him on my lap. He, he goes, Jesus, my Jesus is alive. And I was like, I told you. I told you. He's alive. And, he said, and, he, and then he said it a little louder. My Jesus is alive. I was like, I know. Shh, I know. And he screamed it again and stood up. True story. He stood up on my lap and he started screaming, my Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. And I thought about quieting him down, but I looked up and about 19 rows were turning around looking at us as he's screaming over, my Jesus alive, my Jesus alive. And I looked and all these people that were watching that happen had tears in their eyes.
because I think it hit them in that moment as it hit me that we had kind of lost that childlike passion and awe that our Savior came out of the ground. And Peter is saying, look, you go to the nations, here's what you need to remember. You want to be a pastor, here's what you need to remember. You want to be a stay-at-home mom that loves her kids, here's what you need to remember. Our Jesus is alive. And you minister out of that. You don't put your faith and you don't put your hope anywhere else. All right, let's pray together. Father, my prayer for these 11 rows of prospective students and then all the other rows of folks that are here um, I pray that all their knowledge and all their learning would never take away the passion that you, as we speak, are a living God, but that that knowledge and study and work would just enhance that. And I pray that we would be a generation that ministers in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.